in the first letter of John. So, if you would, let's just bow our heads again and just pray one more time. Lord Jesus, I just uh, agree with one of the verses that Jeremy shared earlier in the worship time. Lord, we thank you that you long to be gracious to us. You long to help us in ways we do not deserve. And it goes on to say that how, how gracious you are when we cry out to you for help. And, and Lord, I just want to do that here this morning. Cry out to you and ask that you would help help me share the things that you want shared here. Lord, I pray you'd help each one of us to hear from you. You know the exact details of each one of our lives. And I pray that you would speak to us right in the middle of that and show us that you care about each one of us and that you have thoughts for us. And I just pray you'd speak through me this morning uh, to bless people and where you need to, Lord, I pray you'd speak in spite of me. Um, but we just ask that we would hear your voice and we would respond accordingly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, uh, let's see. If you guys would, open your, your Bibles. If you got a Bible, a house Bible here, I give you a page number. Otherwise, it's First John, which is basically go to the end of the Bible and come a few pages back uh, from Revelation, and you'll get to the first letter of John here. The page in the house Bible is uh, 1207. 1207. 1 John, we're looking at 1 John chapter 2 this morning. And hopefully in the next 30 minutes we will cover it all and as great a detail as we can and then we'll be on our way with the rest of your Labor Day weekend here. So uh, just a little bit about the series. We started it last week. Josh Whitney spoke um, and he just did a great job opening up this this series on the letter of First John. We've had the flyer. Some of you might have seen the flyer in the dorms or on campus or things like that. Um, it's, it's been funny to see some of the different responses to this flyer. Um, there was a, a guy I talked to the other day that said, hey, I saw that flyer in the elevator. And he said, I just looked at it real closely. I, I mean, I didn't look at it real closely. just glanced at it. And he said, uh, you know, I saw a firehouse. I saw the flame. I saw Get a Life. And I assumed it was like some sort of life-saving class that was going to be offered down here in the auditorium. And so I didn't come. And uh, he said, I didn't read the fine print that it said a church. And so anyway, some people thought this was maybe a life-saving technique, which maybe, spiritually speaking, that might be true. Um, someone else was on campus this week playing volleyball, and in between one of the games, there were a whole bunch of people playing and people on the sidelines, and I just went around and I passed out this flyer. And I didn't do a great job explaining it. Hey, by the way, the people that have you know, brought the volleyball net here, we're part of a student organization, we're part of a church, we're doing this series on First John, come join us. I just gave it to them, and uh, one of the girls was kind of like, she looked at it, and she looks at me, and she's kind of like, she had this attitude of like, so you think I need to get a life or something here? What's the deal, dude? And, and I was like, oh, that was a bad setup. Um, uh, so, you know, we're, we're doing a series called Get a Life. The idea behind it is, um, you know, the life of Jesus Christ is arguably the greatest life ever lived. And if someone is going to speak to what it really means to live, uh, he would be the authority. And, and that's really what we're doing through this letter of First John. We're just trying to understand a little more of what it means to really live. What is the true Christian life? Because there was some confusion at that time that John was speaking into to give clarity. There were some people that were leading Christians astray into things that were not true about Jesus. And he just said, hey, I want to set the record straight. I was with Jesus. I touched Jesus. He spoke to me. And I want to tell you about this Jesus, not the other one that was getting circulated around there. And so, this um, 
really, I think the theme of this chapter 2, we're going to look at, I think we have four marks of the true Christian life. Four marks that should be a part of the true Christian life here. And... And we're gonna, the way we're going to read it is not going to read the whole chapter all at once. We're going to try to read it in some bite-sized pieces here this morning. So um, we're just going to start reading the first two verses is where we're going to start here. So you guys can read along with me here. And it just says this. John's writing. He says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And so the first mark that we're going to talk about is just the true Christian life has a changed attitude towards sin. If you are truly living the Christian life, you will have a changed attitude towards sin. Not saying that you'll be perfect, not saying that you'll ever sin, but that your attitude towards sin will be different. The problem they were facing at the time was some of the uh, false teachers. Uh, there was a kind of a religion going around that was called Gnosticism, but they kind of had this way of dividing spiritual truth and spiritual life, and you would have these spiritual experiences or revelations if you were hanging with the right people. But, you know, at the same time, they said, hey, look, that's your spiritual life. Now, the rest of your life, soak it up and enjoy and soak in the cravings of your flesh and these other things. That's, that's not a problem because they're two different lives. The spiritual life is the, the pure and the holy one. And the, the fleshly life was, well, you know, make the most of your fleshly life. And John is saying, hey, look, by the way, um, I'm writing these to you so that you don't sin. You know, if there was a mark, I was trying to think of different marks that could represent these points. You know, it would be something like, I don't know, maybe we could get a t-shirt. It would be a really dumb t-shirt. But you just have a t-shirt that says sin across it. The big circle, xing it out, don't sin. That, that would be the idea here. And some people can sit, you know, would tell you that, hey, you're a Christian, you're forgiven, do whatever in the heck you want. It's already paid for. Run up your tab. There's people that would tell you to do that. And John's saying, you know, that's not actually true. God would, uh, God wants me to tell you, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin, that you don't have both of those. And the good news is, on the same verse, it says, hey, if you do sin, by the way, you have an advocate. Jesus will come to your defense. He will take up your case before the Father and say, I died for this one. I forgave all their sins there with me. He will take up a case for you if you do sin. But imagine the thought of someone just doing something kind, something awesome, something gracious for you, and you would turn around and want to do them harm and sin against them. That's, that's nothing to do with the Christian life. The true mark of the Christian life would be a changed attitude towards sin. And we need to make sure um, that we all catch that. So um, that's just the first mark. We'll read the next couple verses here. Um, verse 3 through 6. It says, We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But anyone who obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. The second second mark of the true Christian life would be to have an obedience towards God and God's word. See, the issue here is, he's saying, hey, there's some people out there who say, I know God, I know Christ, and... 
and yet they were kind of making up their own rules. They were adding things to the Bible that were not included, specifically not included in the Bible because they were in error. There were doctrines that were in error. And some people were saying, hey, look, they told you all that, but here's, here's the true Christian life, and it really doesn't have to do with the Bible. It's, it's a few books of the Bible they left out. It's our little secret here, but if you come follow me, I'll teach you the true Christian life. And John's saying... Don't buy that at all. The true, the mark of a true Christian is someone who says, I know Him. I know Christ as my Savior and I live by His commands, His book. And, and we got to be sharp on that as, as Christians. You know, there's been times um, where I've seen people on campus. Some of you have ever been on campus when Tom Short is preaching and he'll get out there and be preaching and sharing things. And I remember this one year this guy came and this guy was just being extremely rude and crude and all sorts of mean things to Tom Short, this preacher. And um, he was telling Tom how he just loved to sin. He loved all this perverted type of sin. He was just really uh, getting excited about lust and sin and saying, I'm a born-again Christian and I just love sexual sin and I just love this. And, you know, and it was just, it was kind of awful. And this guy was just going off, but... I think this right here would be someone who's saying, hey, look, I know him, and I'm living my own way, and I'm living by my own rules. And John's saying, hey, look, that is not a mark of a true Christian. A true Christian lives by God's Word. And so we have to watch out for being a Christian who loves God and knows God, and really it's our own little God that we decide what we like and what we don't like and what we want to follow. A true mark would be um, living by God's Word. I remember another time we had a meeting where this girl came. Uh, it was like a Wednesday night meeting. Maybe something like it's going to happen this Wednesday night. And this girl somehow um, came to me, and I forget how she got invited there, but after she after we were done, uh, she pulled me aside and she was kind of like, um, well, Pastor, uh, boy, I really sense that you, uh, you guys kind of take Jesus' commands personally. And, you know, and I just don't think that's the way it's meant to be. I think it's supposed to be symbolic and metaphors. And to take it personally is just, I don't think that's right. And on one hand, I, was, I felt very complimented. I'm like, you know, we do try to take what Jesus taught personally. We try to live out His commands and, and have a life that therefore looks like Him. But, but she was kind of like, well, you know, that's just... But I think if you find someone who says, I love God, I know God, I, whatever, and I do my own thing and I don't take the Bible, that should not mark us. That would not. John says, here's what will mark a true Christian if you obey His commands. Jesus said, you know, different places in John 8.31, He just said, um, He who continues in my teaching is my true disciple. Not someone who says, hey, I'm a Christian, I know God. Those who live out His teachings. John 8.31 is, is that one. Um, and so we just need to be marked by His Word. If there was a symbol that maybe would mark us, I would say... Um, Maybe it's not a t-shirt, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe get a tattoo of a Bible on your arm or something like that. I don't know, but the, really what might mark us if we were men and women who actually carried a Bible around with us. I remember Rick Whitney, when we were first getting the church started, he said, here's like 20, 20 tips for a, a church planter, someone who's starting the church. And one of them, he said, hey, look, if you're a disciple of Jesus, how can you be a student of someone if you don't carry their book around? How can you be a student if you don't have a notebook? Any class, you have a, a class. You usually have a notebook. You're taking notes and stuff. He said, we should be marked by men and women who carry their own Bible. 
And if you don't have one, we'll, we'll get you one. We're glad to help out. You can actually take one of these and write your name in it. We, we buy these, a bunch of these. You can write your name in this. And if it has my name in it already, scribble it out because I, I've written my name. I wrote my name in a number of these. Um, but um, you can have it. Put your name in it. Um, and the other thing is you might just, whatever meeting you go to, I remember Rick just encouraging us, hey, if you're really a student of Jesus, take a notebook. Take a pen. You know, how many classes do you just show up to and you just go, hey, all right, prof, whatever. No, usually we're taking notes. We're kind of writing things down. And that should mark a true disciple of Jesus. We've, we've gotten his word in our hand and we're taking notes. And I'll admit, um, I lost my Bible that I carry around. I have this nice little blue leather Bible. It's all tattered up because I carry it wherever I go. And I left it somewhere. I don't know. If you've seen it, you let me know because I'm looking for it. But it's a nice pocket size one. You can fit it in your pocket. You know, it's not gigantic. Gigantic Bible thumper that's going to require its own little, you know, travel system. Um, but I encourage you get a Bible and read it and try to live by it. That's a mark of a true Christian, according to the Apostle John, who um, knew the, the Christian life, the true Christian life. He knew Jesus. And the next mark we're going to look at is coming from verse uh, seven through seven through eleven. Here, let's read this together. Um, it says this, dear friends. I'm not writing a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing a new command. Its truth is seen in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother is in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. And and the mark here, you know, maybe it's clear, maybe it's obvious, but the mark here is to have a love for other believers. Other believers. He says, look, whoever loves his brother is in the light. Sometimes we can have, um, we can know love's important, but sometimes it's easy to go, you know what, I love the lost people. People that don't know Christ, I really, really love them. And, and that's to show you that I'm a Christian. It's good to love the lost. It's good to love other people that don't know Him. But Jesus said, Jesus said this. You know, John was there and recorded it in John chapter 13 of His Gospel. Um, but this is what Jesus said. Here's what will mark you. And it, it says, um, this is the new command. The old command is from the beginning they were taught they're supposed to love each other, love their neighbor as themselves. But Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we just... Um, I think there's sometimes confusion on, on which love really represents Jesus. He does love the lost and those who don't know Him. And we want to show His love to them. But He says, you know what will mark you as a true believer is how you love this person sitting next to you. That's what marks you. Not the people that don't know Christ. Sometimes we're so gracious to people who don't know Christ. We're so forgiving. They can do whatever they want and we just kind of cater to them. And the person sitting next to us, we hold to such a high bar that we're always offended at them. You know, someone has said, uh, I would love Christianity. You know, someone who was a Christian, the quote is something like, Christianity would be awesome if it wasn't for all the Christians. You know, Christianity would be great if it wasn't for you and you and you and, and me, you know. Um, but Jesus said, here's how they know you're truly my disciple. If you love the people sitting next to you. Not the people in other na- nations, other lands. We need to do that as well. But he says, this will mark you. 
you love the people sitting next to you. If there was a sign to mark this, uh, you know, I think it would, the sign I, I thought of that came to mind would be the sign of the cross. That Jesus said, hey, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You know, next chapter, next, next week, there's a verse that we're going to look at, but I just want to uh, share it with you now, get you thinking about it. But basically, John says, um, this is... This is it's, it's uh, 1 John 3.16 but it says this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus took a cross for you and for me to pay for all of our sins and in that we go that's how much he loved us. He died for our sins but you know what he also says hey this is a double whammy just like I laid down my life on the cross for you lay down your life for the person next to you for the person in this room who's trying to follow me you take up a cross for them and that's the kind of love we're called to that's the kind of love that will mark us so a true Christian life is marked by love for other believers and we need to think about carrying our cross even for them um, the next mark we're going to look at the last mark we had to look at here this morning is um, comes from this next section here we're going to read verses 12 through um, through 17 it's really this last section about the world will be the last mark we'll talk about um, verse 12 it says I write to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name I write to you fathers because you have known him who's from the beginning I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one I write to you dear children because you've known the father I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. And he shifts gears here. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So this last mark we're going to talk about here, it's really, I don't know, it might be considered not having a mark, not being marked by a love for this world. A a true disciple, a true Christian life does not have a love for the world. You know, and in the world we're not talking about the planet, we're not talking about all the people of the world, we're talking about the system in this world that is set up to operate without God. There's a system that's designed to keep God out of, uh, out of anything that's done, and in that world system, we cannot have a love for it at all, and, and love God at the same time. And um, I like the verse, this verse, I think in the Living Bible it's put this way, and maybe it'll stand out a little more to you, but it's says this, um, stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love these things, you show that you do not really love God. For all these worldly things, these evil desires, the craze for sex, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, the pride that comes from wealth and importance, these are not from God. They are from this evil world itself. This world is fading away. These evil, forbidden things will go with it. But whoever keeps doing the will of God will live forever. You know, Bill Bright put it like this. He says, I don't know anyone who loves this world who has ever been used of God in any significant way. There's nothing wrong with money or other material success. However, you must wear the cloak of materialism loosely. You must set your affection on Christ and on His kingdom, not on the material things of this world. And 
we just need to know that uh, at the time, again, they, they were the, the, the thing they were writing against was people who engaged with all the things of this world. They gave their, their love, their, their heart to these different things of the world. And they had their little spiritual enlightenment. You know, they were saying, hey, look, true Christianity is this little bit of truth here that if you just see it, you have the spiritual experience, you know, all this other stuff you can have too. Uh, but that's, that's not true at all. We're taught to not love this world. And, um, you know, I was just thinking about... Uh, uh, a little one time I caught a glimpse of this in my own life about how temporary how short lived the things of this world are and it was back uh, it was a number of years ago I was playing this this video game and me and my roommates used to play it a lot and some of you might know Nintendo 64 back when games were games man um, but there was a 007 anyone know the James Bond 007 game it was awesome it was very cool we spent much time uh, playing that the way we justified it was it's an internal investment in, in the people around me it was a fun game but we're building relationships here you know except when I snipe you from the corner room and you didn't see me and you get mad um, but I remember there was times we played that game and I can't remember if these guys my roommates were playing with me at the time or not I might have been on my own playing it but you could do things when you shot you shoot the wall and it left a mark sometimes you could have a, the game in paintball mode where you shoot and it leaves the paint splat and I remember I was bored I was doing something and I thought hey you leave a mark on the wall I could write things on the wall as I shoot with my gun and I remember writing you know riches cool you know all these marks and eventually it fades away and you know I did different dumb things like that and, and now I look back on that and I go it seems fun at the time but there was really nothing of value that came from that you know it was kind of silly um, but as silly as that is I think there's going to be a time when you look at your life and you look back on it and you, you see yourself doing something you go it seems fun at the time but there's nothing of value that came from that the things of the world are, are passing away you know and the reality is that right now in this room there are three eternal things that you can touch eternity, you touch eternity with one is the spirit of God one is the people sitting next to you they're eternal beings you're sitting next to and that's two um, three is the word of God God's words are eternal and the degree to which you invest your time your attention your money um, your effort to those three things is the degree to which you touch eternity the degree to which you look back and go I'm glad I invested in that not writing my stupid name in the video game world that faded as soon as I turned it off you know um, but we need to make sure we're, we're, the true Christian life is being involved with things eternal not those things that are temporary that will fade away um, and so that's a mark of a Christian the last section here we're just going to read and we don't have marks there's a few warnings in here that we'll, we'll take note of and we'll be done um, and so let's just read the last the last section together here Really, uh, we see in here that Paul, was, uh, that, that John was saying, here's some things that will mark the true Christian life. He goes on to say, and by the way, there's people who would try to deceive you on these things. There's people who do not have these marks that want to lead you astray. Watch out for them. You'll, you'll see the warning. I think it's even more clear. Verse 18, warning against Antichrist. It says this, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many antichrists have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. 
But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from Him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it taught you, remain in Him. And it just finishes. And now, dear children, continue in Him so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. I'm just going to close with a few things to watch out for here. Um, this section is where uh, John talks about the Antichrist. The Antichrist is mentioned in the Bible like uh, five times, and all of them are by John, and the majority of them are right here. But he's saying, hey, look, there's going to be the Antichrist. This one who's going to come is going to deceive the world in, into thinking that he's the actual Christ. The Messiah has come, and it's him. He's going to set up shops, set up his kingdom, and, and try to get people to worship him. And then he's going to turn the whole thing and, and reveal to them that he's actually tied with the devil. Um, and he says, watch out for him. But then he says, watch out for the Antichrist. Um, you know, and this word can be a little bit like, you know, hey, that's kind of end times. You watch out for the Antichrist. So you're an Antichrist. And, you know, I want to make sure we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and go, that just doesn't connect with me at all. I'm just going to throw this whole thing out. But he's saying there's some... Antichrist, anti means two things. You know, anti means opposed to or against. Most of us know that. The other thing it can mean is um, instead of or a false uh, something, you know, instead of Christ. And it's not like the Antichrist, when he has the scene, he's going to be a guy that's trying to bring all the world together, all the world religions together. It's not that he's just going to set out and go, I hate everything good, anything that Jesus was, I hate. He's going to try to win everyone's heart, and then eventually he's going to turn on Christ and try to turn all those followers on Christ as well. But there's other people in this world that are out there already doing the same thing. They're, they want people to follow uh, a false Christ not the Jesus that the Bible records and talks about they want people to follow a different Jesus and, and John's saying watch out for them they would try to lead you astray and give you a false Christ and um, some things you know to look for here one of them really one of the sounding the litmus test related to if someone is really a true Christian or not or they truly are following the Christ of the Bible is this verse here where um, where John says, um, Who is the liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. You know, many cults, many false religions come to the thing about Jesus, and we believe from the Bible that Jesus was God in the flesh. 
and that he was the God the Old Testament Jehovah is one and the same with the New Testament Jesus. And that is what the Bible is full of things that support that. But some people come along and go, I believe in Jesus. He was a prophet, but he wasn't God. And therefore he couldn't die for your sins. And therefore I'll show you some other ways to get to heaven. And, and this is the fundamental truth. If someone says, hey, I believe in Jesus, but not that he was the Messiah. Not that he was God in the flesh. You know, there's another chapter that talks about how to discern those spirits that are from God and those are not. But this is a fundamental thing here. And throughout the Old Testament, I think some of my favorite verses are, you know, one time Moses was going to talk to some people and say, God sent me. And Moses said, God, who should I tell them you are? And God said, tell them the I Am sent you. And, you know, the I Am. That's an interesting name, but that's what Moses said. Hey, I'm the I Am. I exist and you know, and I'm the God who exists. And but uh, Jesus later at one point he was talking to people and the Pharisees who knew about the I Am, and they were he was saying, yeah, you know, uh, I, uh, before Abraham's time these things were going on, and Jesus was explaining to them. They said, look, you weren't even around in Abraham's time. How did you know about these things? And Jesus said, before Abraham, I am. And they were like. And they wanted to stone him because he was claiming to be one and the same with the Old Testament God. And the place in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says, um, You will be my witnesses. And he's referring to Jehovah, the Lord of the Old Testament. And he's saying, You'll be my witnesses. But Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, You will be my witnesses. And we're witnesses of the Messiah who came, God in the flesh, who died on the cross for our sins. And, and you have to see that those are intimately tied together. If someone tries to disconnect those, you end up in all sorts of false religions, false doctrines. And don't be led astray by anyone who would take you down one of those roads. Jesus is God in the flesh. He died on the cross for our sins. He's coming back for us and there's no one else like Him. Um, but the, the last thing I want to wrap up here is this verse here that says, um, uh, you know, sometimes it can be some confusion this verse to say, but you have the anointing from the Holy One. And it goes on to say, um, let's see, you know the truth. Later on it says, as for you, the anointing, verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains on you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But his anointing teaches you about all things. And that anointing is real. And this verse, I think, could sometimes be misunderstood. It's saying, hey, look, you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. You don't need anyone to teach you. You know, um, one, we've got to ask, what's the context of that verse? And what are the practical ramifications? But the context is, he's saying, hey, look, some antichrists are coming. They're going to try to trick you into another Jesus. But guess what? You've got the Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, you can discern what is true or what is a lie about Jesus. Any believer, it says, all of you, you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that you can know what is true and what is false. And, and the context is, hey, look, you've got the Spirit to distinguish that. It's not saying here, you've got the Holy Spirit, you don't need anyone to teach you. Why bother? Why going to church? Well, the Scriptures are very clear. God has placed God-given teachers in churches to help people understand the Scriptures, to um, have a sound doctrine. The requirements for being a teacher in James, it says not everybody should think they're a teacher. Uh, and it goes on, the, the New Testament requirements for being a teacher are about character. How do you live? These guys wanted to teach. They wanted to pull people aside and they were living in sin, in sexual immorality, in all sorts of sin. Um, but they wanted to be a teacher. 
But this says here, you've got the Holy Spirit so you can distinguish what is true about Jesus and what is false. It doesn't say, hey, you've got the Holy Spirit so you can do your own thing. Be a lone ranger. Go start your own church. Or like Josh talked about last week, he met a guy on campus that was a, a Jesus-loving, church-hating Christian. You know, you can't be that. You can't hate, hate the groom and you know, love the groom, Jesus, and you hate his bride. It doesn't work like that. Jesus laid down his life for the church and he wants us to be committed to it as well. But we've got to watch out for anyone who would lead you astray from this. And we've got the Holy Spirit to distinguish the difference, not so that you can go figure out things on your own, because that would be just like what a lot of them were doing at the time that John was speaking against. Um, but anyways, we're, we're going to close here um, with prayer and uh, the, we'll just kind of watch for these marks. So next week, Brad's going to talk about John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. Um, and watch for some of these themes to pop up again here but we'll, we'll pray Lord Jesus we just thank you for um, your word thank you that you can speak to us um, what is true about you and that it stands out sharp in sharp contradiction with what others say that is false about you thank you that John was one who knew you who walked with you who ate with you who leaned on you and he wrote about you and, and he had an accurate view and God, I just thank you that he wrote to us. Help us to have these marks in our lives. That we would be, um, that we would be Christians that, aren't, that don't think sin is not a big deal. Thank you that when we do sin, you're there to be our advocate. But help us not to live uh, in sin and in your forgiveness, uh, just kind of being lavished in both. But help us to not sin. Lord, help us to um, have a love for your word, to obey your word, to be men and women who have your word with us and on our hearts. Help us to be men and women who are marked by a love for other believers. As, as hard as that would be, as hard as that is, help us to be marked by a true love for those next to us that are trying to follow you. Lord God, I pray we would not be caught up in the things of this world, things that will have no lasting effect. Help us to invest in your spirit. Help us to invest in the souls of people. Help us to invest in living out the word of God that will impact eternity. We just pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, well thank you guys for, for coming this morning again next week, chapter 3 of 1 John, and hopefully we'll catch you Wednesday night at, at some of these NETS meetings, but uh, have a great rest of your Labor Day here.